welcome to Teacher Zion Podcast. Hello, this is Doug Hatton here, Teacher in Zion Podcast, and uh, just wanted to touch base with you guys, let you know there isn't going to be a regular uh, episode of the podcast this weekend. Uh, life events last weekend, some things going on, family, uh, car situations, things had to be taken care of. Uh, just didn't allow for us to get an episode out or do anything too much. Um, however, uh, I'm going to be in Branson this weekend with some friends, and I'm hoping to have some great discussions there. Um, and also planning to do a podcast recording, uh, part two with uh, Katie and Lauren uh, this weekend. So uh, we should have that for you by next Friday. Uh, just want to let you know that. I thought what I might do though is I could take a, just a few minutes out here um, and go over some uh, listener questions and that I've gotten. Um, you know, when I do a podcast, I, uh, you know, being human and all, I can't uh, think about every imaginable question that might come up. And also, I don't cover every single aspect or detail of a topic. I try to hit the the main things that are on my mind and in my heart at that moment. And I try to prayerfully seek what it is that I need to bring in that particular podcast. But, you know, as with even in the scriptures, when you when you look at a particular scripture on a topic, it's not the whole truth. Um, there's still lots of questions that you may have. And sometimes you have to go look in other parts of the scriptures and other verses of scripture to get the, the whole picture. And so as with uh, the same with the podcast, um, not trying to uh, uh, equivalent the podcast to scripture, but just that when someone speaks on a topic and they share some things, they're not sharing every possible angle. Uh, they're not sharing every little detail necessarily. They're sharing the things that uh, occur to them at that time. And so there's going to be questions. Um, there are aspects of things that maybe I am viewing from a certain point of view and you don't understand why I would have that point of view. Um, sometimes I have to do a follow-up podcast to explain that. For example, uh, with David Whitmer, David Whitmer makes use of the idea of a stone in the hat. Um, after having studied that out. I know, I think I'm pretty sure I understand why he thought that that was the way it was. And having never actually witnessed any of the actual translation himself, uh, not having been allowed to. Um, and so, you know, I, I make certain assumptions or I come to certain conclusions based on all available evidence. And I may not think to share that in the moment. So when I refer to the Urim and Thummim, uh, then questions may come up. Um, don't you mean interpreters? Is it really Urim and Thummim? Or is it stone in the hat, you see? And so uh, end up having to make a whole episode on that because, you know, I'm touching on that subject a number of times, but never going to the length to explain to you why I've come to the conclusions that I have. And so questions are going to arise and that's normal. Uh, so I thought it would be fun um, and just something we could do that wouldn't be too time consuming. I might be able to do this week just to, to uh, answer a few listener questions. 
Um, and these questions I have already probably answered online or I may have answered in your email, but um, I frequently get the same question from multiple people, which is fine. Um, and I would expect, uh, but I thought if we maybe did a few of these highlight of, of frequent questions and things that arise or things that have risen recently as far as questions and answered them here in this short broadcast that we'll do, um, then maybe that will give a little bit of clarity for a few people out there, maybe wondering the same things uh, that the people who wrote in are, but just did not ask. So without further ado, let's get into that. Okay, let's start with Jordan Richardson's comment on YouTube. Great video question for Doug. You mentioned after the 12 were ordained that Oliver Cowdery said, you're not yet an apostle until you seek God's face or see God face to face. Do you know where we can find that? Um, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I should have thought about that. Uh, so let me drop this down here. I've got this in my Google Drive. Um, if I did find this uh, this following website, www.ldsscriptureteachings.org uh, under an article entitled Oliver Cowdery's Charge to the Twelve Apostles. Um, if you just Google Oliver Cowdery's Charge to the Twelve, I think you'll find several um, websites, articles that have this. Um, I had originally gotten this out of RLDS Church History years ago and never really even thought um, to look it up or get the resource for anybody when I was basically paraphrasing what he said to the 12. Uh, so I really appreciate this question and looking it up. I've actually had several people ask me that question. Uh, so I'm glad to have finally gotten that down. There's a lot of things I researched back in the day before the internet um, that are in here in my mind, but I haven't, you know, gone back and re-researched it, make sure I have the references and all that. Uh, so just looking at this, Oliver Cowdery's Charge to the Twelve, I'm going to read just the pertinent section here. Um, the following charge was given to the newly called Twelve Apostles by President Oliver Cowdery on February 21st, 1835. Okay, and I'm going to scroll down to the charge that he actually lies, lays out to them. Sorry. Um, let your ministry be first. Remember the souls of men are committed to your charge. And if you mind your calling, you shall always prosper. Um, you have been indebted to other men in the first instance for evidence on that you have acted. But it is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourselves so that you can bear testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon and that you have seen the face of God. Now, this is an understanding that I came to after some years of struggling to understand what apostles were. And the reason for that is um, the, uh, I believe it was the church of Ephesus, one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, the Lord says, hey, you've done some good things, but I have somewhat against you. The thing that he said that they had done well was that they had uh, discovered those who were, who claimed to be apostles, but were no apostles. They were false apostles and that they had found them out. They discovered they were able to judge correctly who were true apostles. And I always wondered, well, you know, there was 
I don't know, we had some issues in our own church with whether or not someone was called to be an apostle. We had people called to be an apostle and accepted that position, but was it truly from the Lord? We actually, that was something we had to deal with in the Church of Christ Restored, which is the organization that I was called into as a teacher. And so anyway, this is very interesting to me. It's something I've been studying and you know, this idea that an apostle is an, a special witness, you know, and a special witness. So I studied that out. What does this word mean? What is, and you know, over time, I really feel like the Lord had revealed to me in by multiple witnesses and by different accounts and by scriptural studies and scholars and things that people have written when they had asked the Lord, this is that it came down to it, that the apostles were special witnesses above and beyond any other witness of Christ there was. Now, every single member of the church, every person who was a born-again Christian was a witness of Christ in some sense, a witness of his gospel that has set them free, that they had his spirit in them, and by the gifts of the spirit that they worked in. However, the apostles themselves were a very special witness above and beyond that because each and every single one of them, including Paul, who had come in later, Every single one of them, without exception, had actually seen with their own eyes the risen Christ. They saw that he had died and been resurrected. They saw him alive and they could see the nail prints in his hands and the wound in his side. And that's what made them an apostle. So that's a very interesting thing. Now, as we look at what Oliver Cowdery is giving charge to these 12. It is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven, you know, that you've seen the face of God. What is the face of God? I don't know, some of you may answer this differently, but from everything that the Lord has shown me over the years, everything the scriptures and particularly the Book of Mormon so strongly stress, the face of God is Christ. It is God in the flesh. That is more than the testimony of an angel, Oliver Cowdery says. When the proper time arrives, you shall be able to bear this testimony to the world. When you bear testimony that you have seen God. The brother Jared saw God, remember? The brother Jared saw the finger of God. And it surprised him. He didn't know that God had a body. You know, like what? You know, the scriptures, God is spirit. And to imagine he has a body and God says, did you see more than this? And then God reveals him whole, his whole self to the brother Jared. And who is he standing in front of when he sees God in the body? It's Jesus Christ. He says, I am Jesus Christ. I am the father and the son. That's a book of ether. Go look it up. So Alder Cowdery goes on and says, when you bear testimony that you have seen God, this testimony, God will never suffer to fall, but will bear you out. Although many will not give heed, yet others will. You will therefore see the necessity of getting this testimony from heaven. Never cease striving until you see or have seen the face of God. Strengthen your faith, cast off your doubt, your sins, and all of your unbelief, and nothing can prevent you from coming to God. Your ordination is not full, not complete until God has laid his hand upon you. Interesting. You'll notice who picked the apostles. 
and set them aside? Any man? No, Jesus did. Jesus did. He picked the 12. And then after Judas betrayed Jesus, we see the apostle Paul who picked him. Did the other 11 pick him? No. Uh, we do see them trying to fill in that position, but I wonder, were they supposed to? And if they did fill in that position, probably with someone who had testified and seen the resurrected Christ, I would argue. But what does God do? He chooses his own, I believe, replacement of possible. And that is Paul, whom those men would have never chosen, never have chosen. What, Saul, the man who is persecuting and getting them killed? Uh, that's not going to happen, but God has his own plans. So he chose Saul, who became Paul, and eventually they just had to accept it by the witness of the Holy Spirit that, that this man was an apostle. It was the one that Christ had chosen. And yes, the apostle Paul saw Christ. He was knocked off his horse, and we know that he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And so that's where I get that from. Uh, you can search that on the internet. Good question. Uh, let's go on to the next one. Okay, and this one, uh, this question was asked on YouTube a couple times. Uh, I couldn't find those comments. But again, just recently it was asked on Facebook on the Hope of Zion um, Facebook group and from Missy, does anyone know where it is written that the Doctrine and Covenants revelations were never to be printed? Um, so that is a statement that um, has been made by me that basically the men of uh, the church and Joseph were basically told not to publish these revelations. Um, <clears throat> certainly there is never any um, commandment of God to actually print these. I know people think otherwise because there is a revelation, which I do question in which God seems to be on board with the printing of these revelations later on. Um, but from the very start, there's never was when they started compiling and trying to print these, there was never a commandment to do so uh, at all. Uh, this was purely a decision made on the part of the men and uh, David Whitmer and others withstood it and said that the Lord had told them not to. Uh, so why do I think that? So the evidence uh, that I have here is going to be uh, Doctrine and Covenants section six. That's both in the RLDS and the LDS. Um, and basically Joseph and others are warned. Uh, Joseph specifically here in this revelation is warned, make not thy gift known unto any except those who are of thy faith and trifle not with sacred things. So the gift that Joseph Smith was given and the use of the Urim and Thummim or the interpreters, the Nephite interpreters, as, as they may be called, um, and translating the plates themselves. Uh, he was not to show them to people. Uh, he was not to show anyone any of these things. No one was to see the translation process. Even Oliver Cowdery was behind a curtain, so he could not see what was going on. It wasn't until later that Oliver Cowdery was allowed to uh, attempt uh, a translation himself um, on the plates. And so he would have been able to go and see those things. And of course, the witnesses were allowed to see the things that they were allowed to see uh, for a brief period of time. But these things were sacred in nature. And Joseph was not to go around telling people what he was doing or what kind of gift that he had. So when God spoke to him or others, they were to keep this between them and God. 
Um, and by sharing those things, it would cause troubles. And that's why the Lord told them not to. So here we have a revelation called the section six. Okay. And it says, make not thy gift known unto any, except for those who are of thy faith. If you print that revelation where it talks about his gift and then it gets out into the public, um, that would be a violation, would it not, of what the Lord said here. These revelations were specifically uh, given to specific men, uh, not the whole church. And then we have in Doctrine Covenants, section 19, that's LDS. Uh, it's 18, RLDS, Doctrine Covenants. They were warned, and I'm quoting here, and I command you that you preach nothing but repentance and show not these things. Neither speak these things unto the world, for they cannot bear meat but milk they must receive. Wherefore, they must not know these things, lest they perish. This revelation reads, as I have quoted from the Book of Commandments, uh, but in the Doctrine and Covenants, if you go look, you will see that that was changed. So later on, after they uh, tried to print these things, um, someone went in and modified this revelation and said, uh, show not these things unto the world until it is wisdom in me. Well, the words until it's wisdom in me were added. Um, they had to add those words in order to publish these revelations. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point is God going to make it known that it's okay to uh, toss your pearls to swine? I mean, the entire purpose of this revelation is that there's something being revealed that unbelievers should not know about. The people are not ready to hear those things should not know about. It's dangerous, literally dangerous for them to know. This is not to be shared with those who do not believe or understand these things, who are not ready for these mysteries. When is God going to say, okay, it's okay now to reveal things to people who aren't ready to hear them, who uh, it is dangerous for them to know those things. When is the Lord going to say, cast your pearl before swines? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, there's a changing of this revelation to say, until God says it's okay to cast this pearl before swine or to, or to share mysteries that with unbelievers, to share the mysteries of God with unbelievers. And they were already being criticized by people within the church uh, who had been there from the very beginning. And they knew that the Lord had told them not to share these things. And suddenly, behind closed doors, this revelation got changed. Um, so that's a problem. And then uh, we have Doctrine and Covenants section 45, uh, RLDS and LDS. And it says, And now I say unto you, keep these things from going abroad unto the world until it is expedient in me that you may accomplish this work in the eyes of the people and in the eyes of your enemy that you may that they may not know your works until you've accomplished the thing which i've commanded you to do so <clears throat> so they were trying to establish the cause of zion and jackson county and um, the lord had spoken some things to them and they were told not to let these things go abroad. Well, then they decided to print these things in the um, printing press in Jackson County in Independence, Missouri. 
And that is actually the reason why the printing press was destroyed, because they printed off a number of copies. Um, people literally uh, gave out some copies of these to other people or let them fall into the hands of some other people that were not part of the church. And that is the reason why the printing press was destroyed, because they had published this book of commandments. It fell into the hands of the world. And the people of Jackson County, Missouri, you know, they saw from the revelations that they were considered by the church as intruders upon the land of Zion. And this uh, group comes in, which you probably imagine is a cult of some sort, and they are taking over everything. Well, there's going to be resentment there to begin with. But then if you get a hold of their book of scripture revelation or whatever from the Lord, and it is basically saying that you are an intruder on your own land and that you're going to get removed out of that land. Well, I think you can see why things went the way they did, especially in the Wild West. Uh, the rule of law wasn't exactly uh, fully functional out West. I mean, this was the Wild West, Jackson County. And so the people seeing those things in the Book of Commandments became enraged. They tore down the printing press and they drove the church out of Jackson County, which was exactly what uh, David Whitmer had prophesied would happen before they went and did it. Um, so, you know, here's the thing. You've got several revelations that are contained in the Doctrine and Covenants that, where the Lord specifically says not to publish, not to show these things to the world, uh, not to reveal them. And yet they printed them in a book that they would then pass out and people would have. And that's what happens. Uh, the Lord never told them to publish that book. Um, I studied uh, the church historian, RLDS church historian, Richard Howard. He, in his quest to find out why they had originally printed the Doctrine and Covenants, he said that he could find no historical evidence anywhere, uh, searching high and low, that God had ever originally told them that they were to print these revelations, put them in a book. Uh, and I take his word to be true on that. I don't find it either. I don't see it. Um, in any case, uh, you know, some of these revelations, take a look at them. They are dangerous. You know, I, I mentioned here in my note about uh, section, uh, well, let's see, it's a section on the glories anyway. Um, this is one of the things the Lord revealed to me a long time ago on the section on glories. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that revelation is entirely um, true exactly as it is typed up and printed in that book. Uh, there's definitely truth there. There are some things that aren't quite right. And I can't, I haven't put my finger on it. And the Lord hasn't showed me everything that is wrong or right about it. I can definitely see truth, but there are some things that aren't quite right. Uh, I can feel them. Um, and I think it's just Joseph and Sydney's understanding of what they saw that is the problem because uh, this scripture is not the very word of God. It's basically them putting together what they saw in a vision. Uh, but I would argue that uh, based on everything that I've studied, that that is a, exactly the kind of revelation that if you receive it, isn't necessarily for everybody. And this is important. 
When I first came to the Lord, I believed him 100%. I gave my life to him entirely, and I believed every word of the scriptures. And I believed that if I came to him and if I asked him questions, if I served him, that he would speak to me, that he would use me, that I could walk in miracles if I needed to. I never had any doubt uh, that he would hear me and that he would speak. Okay. And he did. Um, and he shared with me things, uh, you, you know, in time he began to share mysteries, you know, and here's the problem is that as a young, immature believer, as a young, immature teacher, every time the Lord shared something with me, I would go blab it to everybody else. I mean, I would go to the church and the very next time that I was up for a sermon or whatever, I would be, I would share these wonderful revelations. And some of these things were, uh, were good to share. Some of those things he intended for me to share. They were for the edification, the benefit of everybody. But not everything. There were some things he shared. There were things that he told me that I was not to share, or it was not the right time to share them. And uh, not everybody appreciated everything that I shared. Some things uh, scared people. Some people were upset because it challenged their traditions. And even though it was true, and even though what the Lord was sharing with me was true, I mean, not everybody appreciated when the Lord said that he likened the people in the restoration to the Jews of old. That they sought for things that they could not understand and did not uh, uh, rejoice in the plain and simple truths. And that uh, you have to be careful. Just because the Lord tells you or shares something with you doesn't mean it's for everybody. As we read here uh, in the Revelation where they said, uh, when the Lord said, um, some of these things are, they, you know, they can't bear these. They can't bear meat, but milk, you know. Uh, do not show these things. Um, literally, in one of these revelations, the Lord told me not to share. It, it's talking about eternal punishment. And it says, that I am eternal. I, I, God, am eternal. Therefore, my punishment is eternal. But then it says something very interesting. It says, nevertheless, I, I do not say it has no end. Now, we're talking about, this is touching on a mystery, okay? Now, whatever your thoughts are on that particular revelation or what it says there, he directly commands them not to speak these things. And why? Because it's dangerous. Uh, there's a reason why the gospel and the scriptures don't really give you any other focus and you either come to God in his kingdom or it's eternal darkness. There's a reason for that. That is the purpose. He's the light and all else is darkness. Now, whether or not we're given second chance or an opportunity to hear the gospel in fullness. Yes, I believe everyone will hear the gospel in fullness. I know, I believe everyone will be given a full opportunity that those who were born and raised in a country that was entirely Muslim and all you ever heard about Christianity is that they were evil murderers. I mean, obviously, I think the Lord is going to give an opportunity. The Lord, uh, at his death at, at the cross, it says that he went down, uh, he went down into hell. And he preached to many souls there and many came out. Okay, so that tells me that God is exactly what he says he is. He is just and he is merciful. Okay, but if you start laying out for people a revelation which you are saying that God is like, oh, well, it's okay if you don't really uh, measure up. There's a, there's a secondhand place you can go to that's really awesome. And, and then there might even be a third place and all that. You are playing with fire. This is, if this is true, then it's for the very, very mature who is not going to do anything 
but seek the highest ultimate will of God and to desire to be in his kingdom and nothing less than his perfect will and his perfect kingdom. Uh, this is not something you go and share with immature people, with unbelievers, with people that are young in the faith. Uh, we don't give people, uh, we don't want to put thoughts in their heads that it's okay if you don't really measure up, if you don't really come to the Lord, if you only come to him part way, if you reserve much of your life for yourself to live as you see fit, you don't really have to give yourself fully to the Lord. That's not what we are to preach. We're to preach the fullness of the gospel, and that is 100% commitment to Christ. And so here we have an example of three different scriptures uh, right in the Doctrine and Covenants where the Lord is saying, do not show these things to the world. And yet anybody can get their hands on our doctrine and covenants, can't they? So to, uh, to finish up my personal testimony on this matter, um, I was in a habit of, uh, basically sharing whatever the Lord shared with me. I was excited. I wanted to share those things. You know, um, the Lord shared with me, uh, something and, um, and I don't remember what it was, but, it was just, it was a real insight and uh, just a beautiful gem and an insight into part of the mystery of God. And I was so excited. And I remember thinking like, oh, I can't wait to tell people about this. And that's when I heard the Holy Spirit say, not everything I share with you is meant for other people. Some of the things that he shares with us are not for everyone. And I had to learn to keep my mouth closed unless the Lord directed me to share some things. Um, very specifically, there are things that the Lord has shared with me that he has given the okay for me to share with certain individuals, but not with everyone. You know, and if you look at the, the ministry of Jesus, his ministry is that way. He spoke only parables to the crowds okay but then he would explain his parable a little further with the 12 and with the other disciples but then it was peter james and john who would i believe keep jesus up late at night sometimes with their many questions you know and i think he went even deeper with them and uh you know this is the thing God entrusts with us treasures, mysteries, and understanding, and it's his delight to do so. But he only shares with us when we're ready to hear and when it's the right time for him to share those things. We must exercise the same wisdom and be aware that not everything should be shared. The Lord shared with the men in the early restoration. Some of these things are dangerous. Some of the things are actually harmful to those who do not believe or are not of the faith. Do not share those things. And we did. So anyway, that was a good question. I was glad to answer that one. Um, I know I've had a lot of people ask that question. Why or I think that or where does it say that they were not to publish these revelations? Uh, so there it goes. Um, let's do one more. This last one is uh, more of a comment uh, than question and um, more criticism, I would say, than wanting to know my honest opinion about it. Uh, but Fighting for Truth um, stated in YouTube comments, Jacob 
two does not call out Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, or Moses for their polygamy, does it? This is because David and Solomon went outside the Lord's principles. Uh, so basically, uh, he's saying that the Book of Mormon used David and Solomon as an example, um, and in doing so, intentionally left out any other polygamy because all other polygamy was okay, I guess. Um, they also failed to mention that Jacob would have never even existed to write Jacob to if it weren't for Jacob and Rachel's polygamous marriage. Okay, so that is definitely a point. Um, what would have happened if Jacob hadn't ended up with Leah and Rachel and then these other concubines when we had the 12 tribes of Israel? So this is speculation on what would happen if man never sinned as far as I can tell. So we know that God uh, works with sinful men and that uh, our traditions and our culture and ways of doing things are not always God's ways. In fact, scripture literally says your ways are not my ways. And you know, the Lord works with us anyway. He works with murderers. He works with thieves. He works with liars. He works with tax collectors. He works with all manner of people. Okay, For, former harlots, you name it. Um, is that an endorsement of that sin? You know. Let me insert a thought here, a question. I just want to pose a question here. If Jacob had not been tricked into marrying Leah, okay, and um, instead Jacob got to marry Rachel, the only woman that he wanted, by the way, the only wife that he ever intended, um, if that is how history went down, okay, so no sin took place here, okay, uh, Leah and Rachel's father did not cheat Jacob, did not lie to him, did not deceive him. So there's no deception going on. Everyone here is being honest. Um, uh, is the reasoning here that that means God could not have accomplished his will on this earth because people didn't sin. If Jacob had married Rachel only and concubines, he had none. Do you think that the Lord could have opened Rachel's womb 12 times? Do you not think that the 12 tribes of Israel could come from one woman? Why not? They come from one man. So because Jacob uh, was put in this position, then you are saying that is God's will. Is that the case? God's will is that we have sin, that there's deception, that there's lying, that there's cheating, that there's all this jealousy going on and this rivalry between the different uh, sons and daughters because, you know, uh, there's rivalry because of being different women and the competition that is going on in the marriage, all the kinds of things we actually see when you watch these shows about polygamous. Um, are you saying that the Lord couldn't accomplish his will unless polygamy? I don't see that. It's not logical. I don't see that written anywhere. Uh, nor is there any reason why Rachel couldn't have given birth to all of the tribes of Israel. Now, God, having seen all things that will take place, 
and allowing us to have our our agency choice. We will commit sin, and that sin causes grievous pain and suffering. Why do you think Joseph was sold off as a slave and told to his father that he was killed? It's because of the jealousies that are that were evoked through these sins. Okay. There is terrible sin going on on the part of everyone. And, and none of this was the ultimate express perfect will of God. None of it. And yet, here's the beauty of it. The Lord works with us in spite of our sin. But that, again, is not the same as an endorsement of sin. And it does not mean that God can't accomplish his will unless we sin if we follow his will, all things will transpire as they should. And if we don't, the Lord can still use us in our weaknesses. And that is an attribute of his that is amazing. But it's not an excuse for sin. Uh, and fighting for truth goes on. And he says, I'll say it again. The Book of Mormon and Jacob too would not exist without polygamy. Lehi would not have been born were he not a descendant of Joseph born of Rachel, Jacob's second wife. Um, uh, so, yeah, let's talk about that. First thing I want to say is if you are out to defend something that you've been taught is right and you are convinced of it it's very hard not to skew scriptures and rest them so that they come to the conclusion you want them to come to conclusion to so some little bit of information is left out that must be significant it somehow works in your favor that uh, let's say abraham was uh not mentioned well unfortunately um even in your examples, which are basically come out of section 132 on polygamy, which itself is an error, as is fighting for the truth, unfortunately, because Abraham is not a polygamist. Isaac was not a polygamist. There are people turned into polygamists in section 132 uh, that never practiced polygamy. Uh, just go look in your scriptures. All you got to do is read them. You'll see they're not polygamous. Okay. Jacob did not choose polygamy, nor did God choose polygamy. He was tricked into it. Okay. Uh, that's not what he wanted to do. And as we can see in those old days, uh, polygamy was a part of culture in every culture of that age. Um, and... Even those whom God called out sometimes had practiced it. Um, and so is that an endorsement? The statement is basically made that, well, if Jacob had not married two wives, then uh, there wouldn't be uh, Rachel and then by extension, Joseph and then Lehi. Okay. Well, uh, let's talk about that. So um, <laughs> none of us would exist if Adam and Eve had not fallen. But does that mean that what they did in partaking of the fruit wasn't a sin? God works through imperfect people and he works through imperfect situations. But that is not an endorsement of sin. 
I have sinned and fallen short and made mistakes. I have made error many times in my life. I even uh, joined a cult one time, not on purpose. I didn't realize it at that time, but it was. It was an occult. Okay. That cult was a learning experience for me. The Lord taught me many things there. And as a result of those teachings, that understanding, and because of what I learned from my mistakes, they are now used to enhance my ministry, my knowledge, my understanding, and they keep me humble. Does that mean they were not sin or not error? No, there's still sin and there's still error. There are still mistakes. They're not suddenly the will of God. It's not the will of God for us to make errors, but he understands that we will. And all things work together for the good of those who are called by him. That's not an endorsement of their mistakes. It's not an endorsement of sin. Now, people read the Book of Mormon, and when they want to uh, defend polygamy, they read what they want to read there. But they completely ignore or are blind to the things that very clearly point out the truth. And the truth is that the Book of Mormon teaches that Lehi received commandment from God regarding the promised land. What was that commandment? That they were not to practice polygamy. Specifically says, it doesn't say wrong polygamy or the right kind of polygamy. It says polygamy, period. And specifically says that they are commanded on this promised land to have one wife only. Okay, so we're not talking about practicing polygamy the correct way. Okay, so there's no distinction here. There's no distinction actually made in the Book of Mormon. It's in your imagination that there is good polygamy and bad polygamy. The idea that David and Solomon are mentioned here because they practice the bad polygamy. But others like Jacob are not mentioned specifically because they practiced good polygamy. The only difference between David and Solomon versus Jacob, I would say, is Jacob's polygamy was more unwanted, uh, undesired, and accidental. You are reading there what you want to read. Lehi was given a commandment that they were not to practice polygamy and that they are to have one wife. So that's very clear. That's not any form of polygamy. Not any form. Okay. And... It is for this reason that Jerusalem was going to be condemned because of the practice of polygamy. This is in the Book of Mormon. Furthermore, the Nephites are told that they will eventually be destroyed. Why? It specifically says because they practice polygamy. Because they have more than one wife. Nowhere does Jacob say it's because they practice the wrong kind of polygamy. And it specifically says that God will preserve the Lamanites and it will not allow them to all be destroyed. Why? Very specifically, because whatever their wickedness that they did, they did not do the abomination of polygamy. And specifically says that they only have one wife. This is mentioned a couple different times in Jacob that they only have one wife and that they are to only ever take one wife and that this was the commandment that Lehi was given, that they were to take 
only one wife. So, not that they should do the good kind of polygamy, but no polygamy whatsoever. And so, by extension then, if the commandment to Lehi was that no one was to practice any kind of polygamy in the promised land, then where does that put the Utah Mormons in the practice of polygamy in the 1800s? The Lord reveals that if you practice polygamy, you will be wiped off the land eventually. Why did the Utah church decide to put down the practice of polygamy itself? It's because there was a threat that they would be wiped out by the U.S. government. And finally, fighting for truth ends the conversation. There isn't really any response I can think of. His final comment was, calling polygamy a sin is akin to calling homosexuality normal and claiming a male can become a female. Brother, you're not my enemy. And I do pray that uh, your eyes will be open one day and you will realize that these lies that have been taught to you, that they are of the adversary. And I do pray that you will let go of these things one day. I don't feel that I'm a better person than you by any means or smarter. We all have those things that we have clung to that are incorrect. I had my own uh, things, traditions that were taught to me, things that I thought were of the Lord that weren't. The traditions of the RLDS Church, the traditions of the LDS Church, there are a lot of different things that we have been raised to believe that have been even inserted in uh, to our books of Scripture and taught to us as Scripture, as being from the Lord, that aren't. And so I would just leave you, brother, and, and everybody here with what the Lord showed me about the restoration. There was a certain man who planted wheat in his field. And under the cover of darkness, an enemy came in and planted tares. This the Lord said to me by the voice of his spirit is the story of the restoration. And you may think that I am a tare. Or that those who've turned away from polygamy are tares in the field of your polygamous wheat. But I tell you this, that all of these doctrines of men and these doctrines of demons will not save us in the end. They won't get you anywhere. Brother, one day all of us are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the one thing we will need to know? What is the one thing we need to know? We need to know Jesus. He needs to be in our heart. The love of God and his gospel message, plain and simple as it is. Too simple, perhaps, for you right now. At one time, it was too simple for me. I thought it was boring. And that what I believed in was something deeper and higher, higher truth than the, the gospel. The gospel is easy. We all got that, right? But we don't. The gospel of Jesus Christ is dangerous. No one really follows it. We're not following it yet. We don't truly follow all that he said.
It will transform and change you and me and this world. When we stand before the Lord, the one question is, will he say, I never knew you? It's not about some doctrine. It's not about multiple wives. Do you know Jesus? What does Jesus teach? Did Jesus teach polygamy? Either in the New Testament or the Book of Mormon, did he? Do you see the Nephites after Christ comes and teaches his doctrine and his gospel? And the Nephites enter into the golden age of the Nephites, the golden age. And they have the 12 disciples with them, three of whom are going to tarry. And brother, do you see polygamy being practiced? When Jesus sets out his doctrine, the only doctrine that is in him, do you see polygamy in there? Do you see multiple wives and the idea that you're going to be God someday and have your own planet and you're going to multiply with multiple spiritual wives and create spiritual children? Does God teach that? Did Christ teach that in his gospel, his doctrine, the only doctrine that is in him and the only doctrine that is in the father, according to Christ in third Nephi, go and read it. And when you get to the end of his doctrine and you find that polygamy is not there. And when he says that anyone who tries to add any other doctrine to this and claim that it is his doctrine the same cometh of evil. And brother, it says that hell standeth waiting ready to receive such. I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for any of us. I know that God is gracious and kind and compassionate. I also know he's just and he's merciful. But brother, I pray that you come to know who Christ is really is. That's my prayer for you. We don't need to argue any further about polygamy. Okay. Do you know Jesus and have you experienced that mighty change in your heart? Have you been transformed? Have you with your polygamous ideology crucified your flesh? Have you died to yourself? Are you willing to take on his image? Are you a new creature in Christ? And do you walk in the powers of heaven? There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to come into his kingdom. And he has taught it to us and with nothing withheld. What did the Lord say in the Book of Mormon? We find the fullness of the gospel. That means Lacking nothing. And where do you find the practice of polygamy being taught? Brother, I respect your right to choose and to believe as you wish. But uh, I do hope that one day we will see eye to eye and that uh, as the Lord moves in his mighty hand to restore his people, that we will see what is right and we will see what is wrong.
I will hold to what Nephi says. Cursed is he who trusts in men. So if you want to trust in Brigham Young, and you want to trust in whatever man you think brought forth this revelation, you can do so. And you can take some verse out of the Book of Mormon and try to rest it to make it say what you want it to say. And in doing so, you must then ignore all the extremely plain, simple and plain verses that tell you not the bad version of polygamy, but polygamy itself is an abomination to God. That's a heavy word. And how an abomination can go from that to the most exalted of all principles, even though it's never mentioned once in the New Testament, nor in the Book of Mormon, nor by Christ when he gives his gospel and his doctrine. I think you're hanging on some pretty loose threads. I think you better grab hold of Jesus and hold tight and cling to that which we know to be true and refrain from speculation. Well, this went longer than I thought it would. And I know I probably offended a few people. I don't want anybody to follow me. Don't look to me as one in authority of all things. Uh, I'm not the person who can bring you all truth. I will fail you. And I am just a man. All of us need to cling closely to the Lord and seek for him. Seek his face. Seek an encounter with the living God. And be changed by him. In the end, when it comes down to it, it's all about the love of God. And the love for our fellow man. These debates will fall away like so much dust that is in our eyes. Put our eyes on Jesus alone and be transformed by his image. Will you have a great weekend? And I look forward to my conversation with uh, Katie and Lauren. I hope Hope to have that ready for you guys next Friday. Until then, God bless.